What's going on, everybody? That's pretty awesome, right? Man, oh man, love that. I remember talking with Leo a couple years ago and just uh, watching him get excited about who Jesus is. It's really, really fun. Uh, if you are, uh, have you been connecting with us for the last few weeks? Uh, we've been in this conversation called Assume I Know Nothing. And so uh, the whole premise of that is to kind of start from scratch. And so uh, even if this is your first week joining us, what we've been doing for the last seven weeks, and we're kind of wrapping things up this weekend with this conversation, is kind of helping us from the foundation, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What is Christianity all about? What are some of the key essences of why and what is so important? Uh, And so we've been walking through that. And for instance, nailing down that Jesus is the central point. Uh, This isn't just a worldview or a way of thinking or a way of behaving, but there's a person of Jesus we wanna follow after. And then we took that through multiple iterations of, well, what is God inviting us to? How do we know we can trust God? Uh, how do we respond? What are some of the roles that God plays in our life? And so if you would, I, I would highly recommend, especially if this is one of your first times at connecting here, to go back and listen to some of those conversations. And so you can find those. Uh, we have a podcast that walks all the way through our weekend teachings. Uh, you can also find that on our YouTube channel or uh, our, our app, website, wherever is most convenient for you. You can listen to those messages, and I really think it'll help build a foundation of what it means to follow Christ. Now, if you've been following Jesus for a while, uh, the reason that this is so helpful for us is because like in anything in life, as you get more and more connected, sometimes certain like nuanced things really get our attention, Uh, certain details, certain aspects, certain topics, and that can be all fine and wonderful, uh, except for the fact that when we get kind of uh, locked into one of those pieces of jargon or one of those pieces of uh, details, and then we reflect that to those around us that don't yet know Jesus, we're not always giving the clearest depiction of who Jesus is to those around us. And so we kind of slow things back down and get back down to this is the foundation of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it would mean to be a part of the Christian faith, then that helps us, uh, if we've been following Jesus for a while, represent him even better to our family, our friends, our neighbors, and those around us. And so this weekend, uh, as we kind of wrap up this series, I actually think that while this is a relatively simple concept, uh, I think this is one of the hardest things to get. Uh, I think it's one of the hardest things to really internalize and understand and live out. Um, And if you've been a follower of Christ for a while, I actually think this is one of the easiest things to forget. Okay, and so as we kind of navigate this, I want to kind of walk in with that mindset, and I hope you can kind of join me along that path. Now, this simple concept that we're going to dive into is the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And the question that we're going to answer this weekend specifically is why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because as we walk through this conversation, sure, God wants to have relationship with us. Jesus is the central figure. We can have trust and faith in him. He'll save us from the things that are destroying us. Where on earth did we jump the shark and now this man has to be hung on a cross and die? How does that play into this? But if we're gonna answer that question well, we need to answer two other questions. And the first one is, why does perfection matter? Why on earth? Because if we're going to talk about Jesus dying on the cross, it doesn't take long for us to begin to have the conversation about perfection. Why is that even a thing? 
Why is perfection something that would be heightened and important? And then what does death have to do with forgiveness? Because some of us, maybe we are assuming we know nothing. Some of us, we can assume we know just a little bit. We may have heard the phrase, well, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died to offer forgiveness. Well, what does death have to do with forgiveness? I mean, I've, I've forgiven people before and I didn't kill anybody to make sure that that forgiveness happened and I hope you haven't either, right? But what does death have to do with that? Why would that be a thing? And so these are the questions that we're gonna dive into this weekend and what I would encourage you to do if you have a Bible with you or if you use a Bible app is to click open, flip open to 2 Corinthians chapter five. We're gonna spend most of the time this morning in just verse 21. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have a Bible app ready to go on your phone, those are easy to get. But if you don't have it, I'm gonna have it up here on the screen for a moment too. Uh, But let's take a look at this and break down some of what it has to say. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, for God made Christ, now I'm gonna pause already because I'm gonna assume we know nothing, okay? What, if we were reading the whole chapter here this weekend, uh, but if we were gonna do the whole chapter, you'd be here for like five more hours, so you're welcome, okay? Um, but if for, this, this says, for God made Christ. Now, just to clarify, this does not mean that God the Father created Jesus. What this is saying is, is that God put Jesus in the role that we're about to discuss. So God put Jesus in the role who he never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Some of those words may or may not make sense. Some of that concept might uh, ring a bell for us, but let's just break it down a little bit. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? What does perfection have to do with any of this? Well, let's just start with this beginning part. It had to be Christ because Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned. And this is incredibly fascinating to me because I don't think it's actually that possible for us to truly imagine what it would look like for us to live a sinless life. To walk through life and never sin is something so supernaturally foreign to us, I'm not even fully sure we can actually imagine what that might look like. I mean, we wake up and we get out of bed and we're like already a little bit angry that we have to do the thing that we have to do that day. And we're like, you know, mumbling under our breath, like, why did I have to do this? And I hate this workout and I'm gonna do it anyway. And, and then we like go a little bit farther and we, were, we said we were gonna start a diet, but now that donut looks good, so I'm gonna have a donut instead. And so we eat the donut and then we go on and then we're mad at our boss and we walk in and we definitely say some things under our breath or right to their face. We're upset at our boss. We're walking through, like we, we start work late, right? So we're already stealing from the company. You know, we're just like, I don't wanna get things rolling. And then we just say some off color joke to this person. Like we're barely in, to our day and like this is not a good start if we're trying to be sinless right like it's easy and it's so easy that like we we just rest in it we have these cliche sayings things like po buddies nerfect like we just know right that like we we get it humanity means we're going to mess up humanity means there's mistakes nobody's perfect like all these things like we're we're okay with it to a certain degree because we share that experience it's common for all of us But what does that mean? What does it mean for us to be so imperfect? Because on the flip side, part of what we've been discussing through this conversation, through this this series of teachings, and what the scripture over and over helps us to see is that God, on the other hand, is perfect. And like perfect in all the senses of the word. Not only is he good, the essence of good, everything that we know and would love and dream about the idea of good, that is God, but he's flawless. 
God is complete. He's perfect in the sense that he's lacking nothing. God exists totally and is finally uh, without need. We don't even know how to fully comprehend that because we go throughout our days trying to figure out how to meet our needs. We always need something, and that's something that God does not have. Now, by extension, by extension then, God creates a, a resting place, a final place of life for all of us, and it too is perfect. As you would navigate and travel through cultures, so much of humanity throughout so much of time has an internal radar that there's something after life, something after death, that when we die on this earth, what's next? Is it heaven? Is it this? Is it that? Like Because God implanted in us this idea, this desire to know that something happens after we die. And the place that God creates is going to be an extension of his perfect character. And so that heaven, right, is also perfect. It also is flawless, completely good, lacking nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to take all of my imperfect junk there. I don't want to take all of my addictions and tendencies to heaven that's already sounding like you're describing hell to me. If I have to live forever still addicted and wired to do the things that I don't like to do that I can't seem to shake, and I have to do that forever, that sounds terrible. I don't know if we're gonna be driving in heaven or if we are, what we'll be driving. Maybe it's some kind of like souped up Tesla. Maybe it's a really neat chariot. I don't know. But you know what I really hope if we're driving in heaven is that we don't drive in heaven like we drive here. I don't want any of that imperfection up there. I don't want any of those muscle memory things like, you know, you're just like, yeah, yeah, these perfect horses and this perfect chariot. Stop cutting me off. Oh my gosh, this is heaven and I'm still doing it. I don't want to bring any of that with me. I don't want to bring my biases. I don't want to bring my tendencies to dislike or even hate certain groups of people because they think a certain way, they did things a little bit differently. Do I really want that baggage, that hate, to follow me into perfection forever? I don't want that coming with me. I don't want any version of mental health issues following me into eternity, are you kidding me? And so when we think about the concept of perfection and why that's so important, it's because the moment that we start to like play this out, we actually all long for it. Think about it on the personal level with God, that I could be connected with a perfect God and feel safe, safer than I've ever felt before, that I belong in the hands and the arms of a perfect, loving Father, that I would be home and at home with Him. Perfection is huge. And so one of the reasons that this whole idea that it has to be Jesus it has to be him. It says because he's the only one that ever brought that perfection to the table. He's the only one. Now, as this passage continues, it says, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for sin. See, Jesus died. Why did he die on the cross? Well, Jesus died because he was being made an offering for sin. He was being made an offering for sin. Something has to happen to rectify the sin that, whenever we're like screaming for justice, 
When we want something to happen, it's because someone was wronged by sin. I want someone to pay for the wrongs that they've committed. I want someone to receive the right because they were already wronged. I want those things to happen. We want sin to be paid for. But when we ourselves are already trapped in it, when we ourselves are already dragging all of our imperfections behind us, when we're coming to the table with all of that junk, we can't pay for any of it. We can't pay for a maxed out credit card by using a tapped out credit card. I mean, we might switch the debtor from Chase to Wells Fargo or whatever, but we're still in just as much debt. There's no way to climb out of it on our own. We can't pay all of that debt. The moment that we start trying to repay it, we're gonna mess up along the way, stacking against ourselves all the while. I remember in high school, um, I remember uh, we were, I played football. I know I look like a tennis star, but I played football. Uh, and so why was that so funny? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, we went to an away game that the team shall remain nameless, but their mascot was the Explorers. And uh, we, we show up and we're in their uh, away locker room. And uh, one of my buddies was checking all the lockers in this locker room and one of them happened to open. And inside that locker was a straight up Explorers helmet. And my buddy's like, I'm gonna take this home. I'm gonna take this home, I'm gonna paint it. I mean, it's gonna be awesome. And then we go play the game and we lost, which I think motivated my friend even more. He was serious. He's like, I'm, I'm taking this helmet home. And so he's changed and he's getting ready and he's trying to shove that helmet down into his bag and it wouldn't fit. I just so happened to have a really large bag with me. Yeah, and so he looked at me and he goes, Joe, would you put this helmet in your bag until we get back to our parking lot and then I can take it from there? I'm young, dumb, and foolish. Sure put it in, zoop, get it in, no problem, give it back to him, done deal. Two weeks go by, no one knows the wiser except the poor kid that lost his helmet. Then we're at a different away game uh, that also shall remain nameless, but their mascot's the Black Tigers. Uh, and uh, we're in their locker room and some other teammates decide they also want helmets, but they didn't find an open locker. They're literally tearing open the lockers, bending the metal, bending the steel, breaking the locks and pulling out the helmets, a little more intense. And then that night, uh, they go out partying and they're wearing these helmets at the party. Uh, and so they're all like, you know, check us out. This thing. And it also turned into one of those parties where like the sirens show up and if you're lucky, you get to have an interview uh, with someone with a badge on site. And, uh, you know, and this is high school, so things, you, you know the rest. Okay, so, uh, but they, these fine, upstanding gentlemen that have all the integrity in the world, uh, they said, well, uh, this guy stole a helmet two weeks ago and Joe helped him. So Monday, we're all drug into the principal's office, and uh, it's not a good principal's visit. And all of a sudden, we're all being doled out three-day suspensions. Super fun. Woohoo. Um, now, at any point in time, as we're all getting these three-day suspensions, 15 days total between the five of us, none of us could have said, you know what? You four stole helmets. All I did was carry it. Actually, I'm the one that took it off of their property, and okay, maybe I'm the one that stole it. But uh, like I, all of all, you know what? You guys, I'll take the punishment. I'll take all 15 days of the suspension, and you guys just keep going on with life as normal. The principal would have looked at me completely upside down. I mean, like that's not how this works. 
Like the principal is not sitting there with like, hey, I got a quota to meet. I got to get 15 days of suspensions handed out here and you five are just the lucky one. Like the principal doesn't care that she's getting the punishment out to us. The principal's like, you five are guilty. And so none of you are in a position to bargain your guilt, to take on the guilt of someone else. You're all in debt to this issue. You're all in debt to this problem. And so none of us could pay for the other person. And that is the unique place that Jesus sits as he becomes the offering for our sin and why perfection and that cross relate. Jesus in his perfection is actually in the seat that can offer to pay the debt that we could never pay. Now, what does death have to do with all of that? Because can't Jesus just say, hey, listen, I'm God and I forgive you? I mean, couldn't it have been that easy? Why, why was death a part of the equation? All throughout the Old Testament, uh, you would read about things here and there about different types of offerings, different types of sacrifices, many of them having to do with the sin that we would be a part of. Okay, and matter of fact, if you've ever started to read your Bible uh, and you kind of start off and like, wow, God created things, and then you get introduced to some key players, you're like, wow, like there's an ark and there's this guy that has a coat that's really colorful and you start walking through this and then all of a sudden you get to Leviticus and it's like, how many sheep have to die? What do you do with the blood? Like, how does this work? And it, it like messes with you, especially if you've never read it before and you're like, what is going on? And if we're, if we're not careful, as we read that, our mind starts to wonder, why does God hate animals so much? Why would God say like, oh, you messed up, let's kill a sheep? Like, how, do, how does that work? But here's the thing, I wanna flip this mindset a little bit here. I don't think at all that God is saying, hey, animals' lives don't matter. I actually think he's communicating the opposite. What God is communicating is sin leads to your death. And so whether it seems small and it's death by a thousand paper cuts, or whether it's massive and it's like spiritual stage four cancer, the sin that is inside of us, the sin that we participate in, it will slowly but surely kill us all. The Bible illustrates and tells us in multiple places that our sin leads to our death. As a matter of fact, the reason that humanity dies is because of sin. And so what God is saying when it's like, hey, to cover, to pay for, to handle the sin that's in your life, this animal needs to die. He's saying to cover the death, life has to be offered to cover the death, life has to be offered. Your sin is actually that destructive. It's that internally damaging. It's that externally and societally harmful that something has to die to pay for that. Now the problem with that system, and it's actually where we would be today if Jesus hadn't done what he did, is that was temporary. Whether it was something big that happened and you had to have the sacrifice to take care of it or it was a yearly ceremony and you had to have your sins of the last year covered, that was a regular ongoing thing where something had to die to pay for the life that is being kind of sucked out of us because of our sin. There's an offering given up 
for the sin that we had. To get rid of the death, life had to be exchanged. But you see, it wasn't human for human, which was good, right? Hey, I really messed up yesterday, so you're dead. Like, that's just not gonna be an awesome exchange. How do we fix it? This is why Jesus is so uniquely positioned to be the offering for our sin. First of all, Jesus was fully human. So Jesus came, was born, lived a life, experienced the pains, the hungers, the relational aches, lost family members, got tempted, went through the complete human experience. And from that position, as someone that had to engage the law, engage morality, engage right and wrong, from that position, still lived a sinless life. And so from a point of a human being, I understand, I empathize, I get your weaknesses, and I am here to be the one that pays for your debt. But why on earth could Jesus do it in a way where once and for all, where he didn't have to keep dying for us? Why do we not have to do animal sacrifices after the fact? Why did Jesus' sacrifice not just cover the past, but what's gonna cover our present and our future? Because Jesus was not only fully human, Jesus was fully God. And so God, the source of life, the source of perfection himself, the one that brings all the goodness, all of those characteristics to the table, the one that loves in the most pure way that we could ever imagine because he himself is love, his power offers the solution to our debt. And so Jesus is uniquely the perfect combination of being able to stand in our place as human and having the power over our sin as God to say, I will be the offering for your sin to wipe it out. I like to think of it as Jesus offers us a spiritual blood transfusion that his life, as it begins to spiritually course through our vein, washes out the destruction that is plaguing us day after day. Now this verse would continue, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus died so that we could be made right with God. So that we could be made right with God. Here's what that verse didn't say. Jesus died so you could have a second chance. That verse did not say, Jesus died so that you could have a do-over, a start-over, that he would clean your slate, but now just try really, really hard because now that I've got you back up to square, I've paid your debt, you're back up to even, now just make sure you don't fall too far. Jesus is saying, I have made you right with God. My death, I have paid for your sin, it is over. And here's where this gets really tricky for us. Because we think about life all the time as Jesus gives me a second chance. He forgave me, now I started over. Like going into debt. I finally got out of my school debt, now I'm trying not to get too much credit card debt. Like we're just trying to stay afloat. When Jesus is saying, I have handled this issue. We keep trying to live a life where we have less and less sin. I'm trying to be better than the person next to me. I'm trying to be a little bit better, better person day by day by day. And what Jesus is saying is, if we're just pulling in our attempts at being better to the nth degree into heaven, 
that's not going to work out the way we want. What we need is sinlessness. So Jesus had to die because it's not about sinning less. It's about sinlessness. Jesus is offering something miraculously and totally different. He's not just trying to help us be a better person. He's changing the game. And for some of us, we can think to ourselves like, right, I get it. You could maybe even write a version of this on paper. I get it. Jesus died for me so that I could be made right with God. That makes sense. But then it'll turn into Monday. And most of us, our default will slip back into, and I better make sure I get it all right or else God's going to be mad at me. I better make sure to get it all right or else I'm going to be in debt again. As I was talking with some of our pastors and leaders this week, we were talking about this illustration that I thought would be very, very helpful to kind of explain some of this. And so I brought a friend. He's my only friend. No. <laughs> um, this is you. You've never looked better, okay? Uh, right now, you're looking pretty pristine. Looking pretty good. Not a lot of flaws, not a lot of issues, nothing really going on. You are ready to stand before God, but then you woke up. Then you woke up and you remembered the homework hit and you didn't do it last night and now you're mad and you're thinking about lying about your dog or something and all of a sudden you're just angry that why does my teacher oppress me? And then we go downstairs and mom's upset with us and we just say something really mean to her and then we kind of regret it but we're not gonna admit it because that just means that she was right and I was wrong so I'm not gonna do that but that brings tears to our eyes because we're messed up. And then, you know, we get our day going and we show up to work later and we say something mean to our boss because what do they know, right? Like our boss is stupid, you know, do some real work. Um, when I was in high school, I was way more of a jerk than I ever realized. Like, it was amazing how many people after I graduated eventually came around to tell me, like, you know, Joe, you were kind of a jerk, and I actually cried myself to sleep. I mean, like, for real. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize. Apparently, I made a lot of jokes at people's expense and uh, would tease them and make fun of them and hurt them, and I didn't know until I knew. Um, we mess up all the time, right? And every time we hurt someone, make someone mad, whether it's on accident or purpose, our life just keeps getting more and more scarred up, right? Like we can't figure it out, things keep happening wrong, and more and more, and we keep looking around, and we're like, what's happening? And then we realize, like, I wish this was gone. I wish I didn't have to live my life this way. I wish I didn't hurt the people that I loved this way. I wish that I was no longer trapped in all of these issues. I wish that I wasn't stuck in my own addiction. I wish that my mental health, I wish all of these things, and it just seems like over and over and over again, and then we try to cover it up, but it doesn't work, and we try to make it mad, but then we just get an argument about it, and we can't seem to get ourselves out of our own mess. And then we hear, well, Jesus came to forgive us. Jesus came to forgive us. And so we're like, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. And we're like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But every time we look in the mirror, it seems like nothing's different. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I'm sorry. 
And then Monday happens and we do versions of it all over again and we can't seem to break out of the cycle because something's missing. Then Jesus shows up and he actually lives the sinless life. He actually goes through many of the same circumstances, many of the same relational issues, many of the same temptations, all the different things, but his response, his life never got marred, messed up by the sin that destroys and is so destructive for all of us. And when Jesus dies on the cross, much like the offerings, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, his perfection, his blood, his life then covers our sin. And now because of the trust that we have in Jesus because of his life, we no longer have to try to scrub this because Jesus covers it. But here's the crazy thing. Here's the wonderful thing. It actually doesn't stop there. Jesus does not just simply say, hey, stand behind me and I'll cover it. Jesus actually becomes sin for us. Jesus actually exchanges our reality. And he says, I will take all of your issues, all of your junk, all of your sin, and I will take it to the cross. Every time he was whipped and beaten, every time the nail got drove in, every time that he was being mocked and ridiculed, that was our sin our destruction that he was taking on himself onto the cross. And what he was offering in return was his life. Will you accept my gift of salvation by giving me your life? You'll hear us say phrases all the time around a Christian circle like, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you accepted his gift of salvation? And in the simplest ways I could possibly muster, this is what we're talking about. Are you willing to give over your life the one that consistently adds to the scars and the pain and the imperfections of your own life and say, Jesus, I can't do this anymore. And instead, Jesus, will you show me, will you lead me, will you save me with your life, your record, your perfection? Can I lean into your life? And then Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin, to be an offering because we could not handle and do it. But it doesn't end there. Because Jesus died, and then three days later, remember, he's also fully God, he rose again. And so not only did he die, but he took your sin and he took it to the grave, and then he rose again, beating sin and death. Jesus completely destroyed the sin that so easily destroys us from the inside out. And now, not only does he offer his perfection, not only does he offer his life, but when we wake up on Tuesday and we get our markers out and we start messing things up and we're like, doggone it, now I'm messing things up again, Jesus is saying it's done. It's handled. 
Your sin has been paid for past, present, and future. I have handled it once and for all. I am the infinite and eternal sacrifice for your sin. And by my resurrection, my life has conquered sin and death and you are no longer slave. You are no longer in wrong standing when it comes to that perfection, that wonder, that relationship with God and entrance into his eternity because it's done. It has been buried, it is handled. And only our savior would trade balloons and only our Lord God could. This is now our life. Jesus has handled it. This, one of my favorite passages is Galatians 2.20. It says, my old self has been crucified. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in him, in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I trust in Christ. My old self is gone. It's been crucified with Christ. I've given my life to Christ. He defeated that sin and he's offered me life in return. The confidence that I have in life moving forward is in his character, his perfection, his life. That's what was meant in a passage like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says this means that anyone who believes in Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. The new life has come. This is done Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Not I gave you a good head start. Not I kind of set you up, hopefully with this eternal trust fund, you'll figure it out. It is finished. It is done. In the life that is now offered in Christ, this is the beautiful exchange. And I understand that sometimes it's hard for whatever reason to live in this reality. It's almost like we have spiritual muscle memory. I remember there's multiple times in our lives where living in the reality of what is true is difficult based on our old reality. I remember um, when I first got married and I had to learn, apparently, I can't just do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it without that having ramifications. And it took me, I'm probably still learning that lesson. It took me a long time to learn that lesson, even though the reality of that fact changed the day we got married. I remember when um, I got, I switched jobs from UPS. I used to work at UPS, unloading trailers and loading the brown trucks in the middle of the night. I had to wake up at 2 a.m. to go to work. And then I was afforded the opportunity after some training and, upper and some things to, to become a pastor. And I remember when my job shifted and my schedule shifted, it was great not having to wake up at 2 a.m. anymore. That was, my reality had drastically changed, but it took months before I didn't just randomly wake up in the middle of the night. And a couple of times even going, oh shoot, I'm waiting for work. Even though my reality had changed. And have you guys ever moved before? Anybody ever accidentally drive to your old house? Your reality has changed. If you went to that old house, someone else lives there. <laughs> your reality's different. But sometimes it takes us a while for our default 
for our reactions to respond to the new reality that has been afforded to us. For anyone that is in Christ, the new has come, the old is gone. You've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but it is Christ who lives in you. And for us to experience that more and more, for our spiritual muscle memory to shift, for us to default drive to Jesus instead of drive to some of our old habits, for us to default and realize that when I wake up, that Jesus has already taken care of the issues in my life and now I can live in the confidence with him, for us to live in the reality of what he has already handled and done for us, it simply takes walking with him. And that is why Jesus invites us to live life with him. Last week, we talked about the idea that it's different to live for Jesus than it is to live in Jesus, with him. I could go on a date and pick up the flowers my wife likes and make reservations at the restaurant she likes and pre-order the drinks and the, and the food that she likes and make sure the dessert's gonna come out at just the right time and have the sweetest card ready to go and make it happen and all the things. But if I look across the table and I forgot to bring my wife, You see, in that instance, it doesn't know, I'm not sure it matters what I did for her. The point was to do it with her. It's pointless to go on a date by yourself if the point is to connect with your spouse. Jesus is not saying, would you please go live life on your own and just try to make sure you do the right things. Jesus is offering us to walk with him to be with him so that slowly but certainly he can change us from the inside out, our defaults, our thinking, our heart, our reaction to begin to heal us from the sin that has so easily entangled us and has dropped us and destroyed us from the inside out so that we can live in the reality of his grace, his love, and his perfection. That's the invitation of Jesus. That's what God is asking us to be a part of. That's what he's asking us to walk in in the reality that he established and did for us. And so as we talk about this whole idea that we're assuming that we know nothing, that we're assuming that, okay, what are my questions? How can I make this a part of my reality? What is faith And this journey with God all about, that is the prayerful question that we've had from the very beginning of this conversation. Is can you see clearly the lengths at which God is going to ensure that you would even have a chance at responding to life? The fact that you're in earshot of this right now is actually one small way that God is trying to get your attention that he's trying to show you just how much he loves you and how he's trying to show you that you can't handle the destruction on your own because it will only lead to more destruction. Would you lean into his gift? Would you be open to giving your life to him? 
so that then you could accept his gift of life. The band's gonna come out and they're gonna lead us through a few songs where, um, honestly, I think they're pretty fantastic, but they're gonna really reinforce a lot of this mindset, a lot of these ideas where I need to respond to what Jesus is handling for me. I need to respond to, man, Jesus was willing to die and take all of our junk just so we could have life. And some of us, maybe we need to respond to that for the very first time. This is, this is Jesus in one way or another beckoning to you, would you like to receive my gift, receive my salvation, receive my life in place of yours? And others of us, maybe we've been following Jesus for a while, this is where God is reminding you, maybe getting your attention, would you stop trying to do this on your own? Would you stop battling as if you're the one that has to muster up all the strength and the willpower? Would you, how about you wake up and you just spend some time with me? And moment by moment and then day by day and season by season, I'll help rewire those things in you and begin to show you how life plays out in your life. Wherever you find yourself at this moment, would you, would you pause? Would you take the quiet time, the, the time to process the lyrics? Because sometimes we don't have the word to say, so use the lyrics. And let's engage God together, but right where you're at with him. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to, to be reminded of how fascinating and wonderful it is that you would meet us in the midst of our issues of our imperfections. Lord, while I was still an absolute wreck, you died on the cross for me so that when I saw what you've done and I've seen what you've conquered and I see the way that you love, that I could respond out of need, out of gratitude. Lord, asking for your forgiveness, but not just to start over, but to live new and fresh in the confidence of your life. God, help us to begin to discover what this means for us. Show yourself to us moment by moment. And Lord, as we respond to you, I pray that you would lead us down that path of everlasting life.